everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News. Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind with the permission of Worcester News and recorded here at Colin Chance House, Worcester on Thursday the 31st of August 2023. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition and with me to read the articles are Moira Lowe, Penny Welford and Richard Pugh. Our sound engineer is Alex Gwynne. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters and thought for the week. Obituaries now come at the end of the closing music, so stay tuned then if you want to hear them. Recordings are available as podcasts. But at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but on CDs and tape. Do let us know your birthdays, so that we can greet you when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, that's W-Y-L-D-S Lane, Worcester, W-R-5, 1-D-A. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone on Worcester 767-766, or you could add a note to your wallet. We ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on our number, the one I've just given you, and leave a message. So let's get going for the evening. And first of all, our list of useful telephone numbers. You've already had the one for Colin Chance House. Please be aware this isn't man daily and please be patient if a reply is required. We will get back to you. The police non-emergency number 101. NHS direct 111. Out of hours medical assistance 0300. One two double three two double one between six and eight PM Crime Stoppers zero eight double zero treble five treble one Worcester Hub for council matters Worcester that zero one nine zero five seven six five seven six five Worcestershire County Council here to help. Worcester 768053, choose option 3. The Community Risk Team, principally for fire safety. 0800-032-1155. The Domestic Abuse Helpline. 0800 980 
Sense Adventures, that's walking for the visually impaired. A lady called D Jones, and that's a Malvern number, 01684-891-297 or 07920-144614. Samaritans, 116123, that's a free phone number. Worcester Live, Worcester 611427 and Malvern Theatres 01684 And for scams and nuisance phone calls, dial 1572 and listen to the instruction. Press 1 and listen again. You can also delete that by pressing 1. It's very useful when these calls arrive. They are disturbing and it's a means of your provider helping you to get rid of them and take away the trouble. Right, so the next idea we have is the thought for the week and Penny is going to read that for us. The thought for this week is from Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Thank you, Penny. And now our intrepid sports reporter... Richard is going to read a sports article chosen from this last week. I'm very grateful to the editor for promoting sport to the top of the list this week. And um, thank you for that, Madam Editor. <clears throat> On Friday, August 25th, we actually had some relatively good news from New Road. In as far as the uh, headline is Taylor Signs, with a subheading pair snap up all-rounder from Northamptonshire. Worcestershire have signed all-rounder Tom Taylor from Northamptonshire on a four-year deal starting from next season. Taylor becomes the third new signing for next season and will join the likes of Rob Jones, who has been on loan at the county in recent weeks, and Ethan Brooks in signing a contract with the Pairs. The 28-year-old impressed his soon-to-be new teammates with a brilliant century for Northamptonshire, Steelbacks, against the Rapids last week but will now move to New Road from next season until the end of the 2027 campaign. It is with immense excitement that I join Worcestershire, and I see the next four years as pivotal in my cricketing journey, said Taylor upon signing. I firmly believe that Warwick Worcestershire is the perfect club to support me in my aspirations, and I look forward to working closely with Alan Richardson and the other coaching staff, who are renowned on the circuit for helping develop players. The club's commendable performance across all formats this season motivate me to contribute significantly with both bat and ball and help the club continue to progress. With a seasonal track record, the uh, pardon, with a seasoned track record, the former Derbyshire and Leicestershire man boasts an impressive tally <coughs> of 162 first-class wickets in 60 matches, averaging 31.81. 
Additionally, he has secured 30 List A wickets and 48 T20 wickets. Taylor's batting credentials are also substantial, having amassed 1,550 runs in first-class cricket, along with 753 in List A cricket, which includes two centuries for Northamptonshire in this year's Metro Bank One Day Cup. Worcestershire head coach Alan Richardson admits he has had his eye on Taylor for some time, and whilst he says he knows all about the quality he's getting, he also believes there is more to come. Tom has been on my radar for quite a while, he said. I remember when he played for Leicestershire a few years ago, and he certainly stood out as a very good bowler. I've followed him quite closely, and he is just someone I've watched continually grow as a cricketer. There is still a huge ceiling there, a lot of potential, but also Tom comes here with quite a lot of experience and a high skill set. Getting someone of Tom's quality and experience is exciting for us. He gathers a lot of energy on the ball and gets it through nicely, and I would classify him as someone who hits the bat really hard. He's skillful with the ball, plays in all formats, can do all sorts of jobs. We've watched him at Northamptonshire, and he bowls in the power play, bowls at the death. Tom is very good in the field, a good mover, with really good hands, and with the bat, we see someone contributing in the middle order. We are getting someone who is really good, three-facet skills in all formats. We feel it is quite a coup to get Tom to come over and play for us. Thank you, Richard. Right, now next we're going to have our headline articles and we'll start those with Moira from last Friday. Okay, so my first headline story is Bold New Look, revealed 20-year plan to improve travel in the city. And there's two artist impressions, one of North Quay uh, with a potential new cycle lane and square for pedestrians, and the other one is an artist's impression of the new Fourgate Street in Worcester. New images show how the city centre could look as part of a 20-year plan to improve the transport system. Fourgate Street and North Quay in Worcester are both in line for much-needed improvements in a new transport strategy devised by Worcester City Council. The strategy hopes to tackle such long-standing issues, including traffic congestion, inconsistent walking and cycling routes, limited public transport and how well roads cope with flooding. Other measures include improving the city's two railway stations to provide a more welcoming arrival, better routes between Shrub Hill and the city centre for pedestrians and cyclists, and ensuring the bus station is more attractive and user-friendly. Car parks will be consolidated so that there would be fewer but larger multi-storey car parks, with all of them in locations that are easy to reach in order to ease congestion. At least two of these large car parks become mobility hubs, providing immediate access to bus and cycle facilities. Improvements to the city's road system are also proposed in the draft strategy, including restrictions on heavy goods vehicles in the city, changes to how the Hilton Road and Key Street roundabouts are managed on either side of Worcester Bridge, and measures to reduce the flooding risk in Croft Road. An improved cycling network into and throughout the city centre 
also forms a key part of the draft transport strategy, focusing on access to railway and bus stations and the proposed mobility hubs. A bike hire scheme is also currently in the works. The Council said the aims of the 20-year strategy would make the city centre's transport system more resilient to flooding and take serious steps towards a sustainable and more safe, secure and healthy environment that is accessible to all. The new transport strategy has been backed by councillors in Worcester, but much of the work relies on the County Council's support to become a reality. The joint leaders of Worcester City Council said the work would make the city centre a more attractive and appealing destination as well as improve air quality. Labour leader Councillor Lynn Denham said, The proposals in the draft transport strategy will make Worcester a more attractive destination for residents and tourists and also provide a dramatic boost to our local economy by supporting local businesses based in the city centre. As well as making the city centre easier to navigate, many of the initiatives in the strategy will help to meet the legal requirements to improve the air quality in Worcester city centre. Green leader, Councillor Marjorie Bissett said, This is a long-term plan, so if it is supported by the county council, it will not bring overnight change to our city centre. However, In the medium term, there will be significant improvements and our city centre will become more accessible and appealing to residents and visitors, regardless of what form of travel they choose to use. Last weekend's edition showed a front page of a picture of Claire Webb with her young, uh, being a young mum's plea after cancer diagnosis. The plea is, don't be scared to get checked. A cancer patient in her 30s who feared she would not get to see her two-year-old son go to school is encouraging everyone to get tested to detect the disease early. Claire Webb, 32, was shocked devastated when she was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer in May this year. The claims resident who lives with husband Michael and their son Teddy, said, I'd never had any sort of health problems before. I fell over and knocked myself. I had swelling in my right breast. I thought that's a bit weird. It didn't go away for a week. My GP said it's rare that it could be anything serious. I will refer you just in case. I went to Worcestershire Royal Hospital Breast Clinic. From the day I went to the doctors, it took ten days to diagnose. It was massive news. It still hasn't sunk in, even now. Mrs Webb immediately began chemotherapy. I've had it every three weeks. I've got two sessions left of six. I don't want to have to jinx it, but it's been okay. I still have got my hair, which shocks everybody. I feel okay. I'm still running around after a toddler and working my job at National Grid in Blackpool. I feel lucky if it's not too it's not been too bad. Mrs. Webb said she had had a scan on August the seventh after the third round of chemotherapy to see how it was going. We got the results on August the fourteenth, and it said I have no cancer in my body. She said. We were chuffed to bits with that news. My oncologist is happy for me to have surgery. 
When I got the diagnosis, we were devastated, thinking I'd be lucky to see my baby start school. For a couple of weeks, we cried. With cancer, you didn't get better from it as it, from it in the past, but the difference in treatment is completely different now. You are thrown into this new world. I've joined Facebook groups of people going through it and been put in contact with others my age in Worcester going through it. It has really helped. You start to think it's not the death sentence you first thought. I'm definitely hopeful I will see my son start school and hopefully see him graduate university. Mrs Webb is documenting her journey on her Instagram account. It's at O H H A Y Y F I S H. I just want to raise the message. If something doesn't feel quite right, you know your body best, persist and get checked. There are no routine tests for people of our age. We have to spot it ourselves. I was one of the lucky ones. I was quick to get diagnosed. Early detection is the key. I would certainly support her plea. Don't be scared to get checked. Thank you, Richard. Now the headline article from Monday, August the 28th. Splash pad at risk as money dries up. Cost-cutting acts to fall on opening hours. The opening hours for the city's popular splash pad are set to be cut by the council in a bid to save money. Worcester City Council has revealed it is considering cutting the time the city's Gallivelt Park splash pad would be open by around two months, from 166 to 100 days a year. At the moment, the splash pad opens from the Easter school holidays until early September. But the new money-saving proposals would see the water play area open from the May-June half-term school holidays until the beginning of the new school year. The council said opening the splash pad later than Easter would save around £26,000 a year. The council also revealed that staff would end their permanent presence at the splash pad with agency workers brought in at a cost of around £15,000 a year to deal with any issues while it is open. The City Council's Policy and Resources Committee will be given several money-saving options for the City's splash pad at a meeting in the Guildhall on September the 5th. The options include closing the splash pad completely, which would save more than £80,000 a year, to cutting back opening days and times and only opening at weekends. Council officers will recommend to councillors to take up their preferred option, which would see the splash pad open from 11am to 4pm, between May the 24th and July the 18th next year 
and 11am to 6pm between July the 19th and September the 1st. This option would reduce energy and water costs and staff costs during periods when the splash pad is less used, say officers. The saving would be offset by the need to buy in up to £15,000 seasonal agency work to increase core capacity in the team during the operating season. Staff saving is maximised by moving away from having a permanent presence at the splash pad. This will continue to provide a good level of access across the whole week, during periods of the summer when demand would be at its highest. The City Council has warned of job losses and further cuts to services, with a worrying gap in the authority's budget expected to rise to at least £4 million in the next five years. The Council warns that already squeezed services will be cut to the bone, with only the amenities the authority has to do by law spared from the chop. The Policy and Resources Committee meets in the Guildhall from 7pm on Tuesday, September the 5th. The headline for Tuesday, August the 29th is Murky World of Jailed Towpath Dealer Revealed. And this, there's a photograph of images released of Class A drugs and a picture of um, Alonzo Stanfield, um, whose home um, the drugs were found at. Inside, the article continues with two more photographs. One, a friction lock baton seized from the defendant's home and also seized wads of cash as part of the operation to stop the county line's dealing of A Class A drugs. These disturbing photos shed light on the murky and dangerous world of the Canal Towpath drug dealer who is now behind bars. Alonso Stanfield was running the, the Nathan drugs line in Worcester but is now serving a jail sentence of three years and four months after a strong deterrent message was handed out by a city judge. He was caught near Wicks in Tallow Hill in Worcester. The 29-year-old County Lines crack dealer on licence for robbery at the time, was jailed at Worcester Crown Court on August the 21st. After our initial report, we can now bring you deeper inside the murky world of the caged canal towpath drug dealer, including showing images of the drugs that police successfully intercepted before they could make their way into the streets of Worcester and into the bodies of users. These photos show the baton and wads of cash Stanfield made dealing drugs by Wicks in Tallow Hill, plying his evil trade. But neither the cash nor the weapon, a friction lock baton recovered from his home, will be of much use to him now as he begins his new life in prison. At approximately 2.30pm on Wednesday, March the 15th, Proactive officers received information from a local intelligence officer that he had cited Stanfield after he met a number of known Class A drug users, some of whom were seen smoking a crack pipe. 
Stanfield was detained approximately 400 metres along the canal towpath. Officers seized £2,000 in cash and a burner phone. The conviction represents another success in the ongoing battle by city detectives to stem the flow of Class A drugs into Worcester from larger cities, including Birmingham. The prosecutor said a search of his partner's home in Wolverhampton revealed Stanfield's drug paraphernalia, including scales and three other mobile phones and SIM cards. Analysis of the phones showed there was a contact list of 120 people, with a significant proportion of them being Class A drug users. Simon Phillips, prosecuting, said a blank text message would be sent out to the users, which was the signal drugs were ready to be sold. Cash was also seized. £780 on him at the time of his arrest and £1,460 found at the Wolverhampton flat. Balbir Singh, defending, told the court Stanfield had no previous drug convictions. He said the defendant, who appeared on video link from HMP Huell, had shown remorse and recognised he had let down his partner and their two children. Sentencing Stanfield of Lower North Street, Walsall, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, You were travelling to Worcester to sell crack cocaine. The aggravating feature is you were on licence for robbery. Judge Cartwright said Stanfield had an awareness of the entire drug operation and he would have had an expectation of significant financial advantage. Okay, my headline is from yesterday. Heartless thief stole cash from Gran. A family devastated by the death of a great-great-grandmother saw a callous thief who stole from her finally brought to justice a few days later. The family of 92-year-old Mary Richardson say the actions of heartless thief Vilma Williams had a big effect on her and believes the crime may have contributed to her death. The arrest came after the family set up cameras in the room and kept a note of the serial numbers on the cash she had in her purse. Williams of Southdown Road, Worcester, admitted stealing £30 from Mary Richardson when the pair were both residents at Bilford Court Sheltered Housing Home, Worcester, on March the 18th. Grandson, Tom Rimmer, was in court on Thursday, August the 24th, to see Williams be sentenced, despite grieving for Mary, who died on Saturday, August the 19th. He explained how the family caught the thief after suspicions had been raised about her behaviour. The pair lived at flats for eight years at the home, he said. She lured my nan into the false pretense she was caring for her, supporting her. She became extra close to her. Mr Rimmer said Mary was housebound and the family would take her state pension in cash. But after having suspicions over missing money, they decided to install cameras in her room. They caught Williams in the act, pretending to go to the bathroom, but instead stealing the money. I'd made a note of all the serial numbers of the cash given to her, Mr Rimmer said. We watched the camera live. We called the police. I went with them. We checked the handbag. The money had gone missing. Police arrested her. She had the money with the serial numbers in her possession. Mr Rimmer said after finding out about the theft, the victim moved out of her home. 
She didn't want to live in her own flat. She was too scared and didn't feel safe, he said. It massively accelerated her deterioration. It had a massive effect on her. After hearing the severity of the crime at Worcester Magistrates Court, Deputy District Judge Peter Hayes sentenced 75-year-old Williams to eight weeks in jail, suspended for 18 months. As part of the suspended sentence order, Williams has been ordered to do 150 hours unpaid work and will pay costs of £154 and victim surcharge of £135. Mr Rimmer from Worcester said the suspended jail sentence was more than they thought the defendant would get, thanking the judge who recognised the impact the case had on his grandmother. The judge said it was one of the worst examples of breach of trust he could think of, Mr Rimmer said. The family warned people to be vigilant and look out for elderly relatives. My nan spent her life wanting to help people, he said. If she can help someone else and stop another crime, that's what she would have wanted. Marion Duffy, Chief Operations Officer at Platform Housing, which runs the home, said, We send our sincere condolences to the family of our former resident, Mary Richardson, and we will continue to offer them and the rest of our community at Bilford Court any support they need. From today's Worcester News, Thursday, August the 31st, we have a front page showing a photograph of a police car in Blackpool Road and a headline... Police swoop after multiple gunshots heard in city. Police were called to reports of multiple gunshots in Worcester. West Mercia Police says officers went out after witnesses informed them of possible gunshots being heard in Blackpool Road, Worcester, at 9.05pm on Tuesday. Police have said no one was injured and have reassured the public. Chief Inspector Dave Troth said, I would like to reassure the public that this is believed to be an isolated incident with no wider threat to the public. Residents in the area will see an increase in police presence while inquiries continue. Anyone who witnessed the incident is asked to contact DC Callum Godwin on 078 3902 or email callum.godwin at westmercia.police.uk quoting incident number 00466 uh, underscore capital I underscore 29082023 Police have said inquiries are ongoing and confirmed no arrests have been made. Police closed the road again yesterday afternoon as they carried out a search of the area with a police dog. There were reports of large police activity on Tuesday night. People reported seeing armed police and the road cordoned off near King George V playing fields. One neighbour said, I saw two black Volvo cars, armed police in balaclavas, and a dog handler circling Warnden from 9pm Last night, another reported hearing a loud noise. The person from Brickfields Road said, I heard a loud bang coming from Blackpool Road. It sounded like a car crash. I'm deaf, but I could hear it from here. He thinks it was around half 
half 8:30 p.m. and 9 p.m. A police helicopter also flew across the city on Tuesday at night, believed to be linked to the investigation. Thank you, Richard. Well, now, we've only got one set of readers' letters this week. In fact, just two lengthier ones. So I'm going to ask first Penny and then Moira to read them. The first letter is from Chris Brown, a retired further education teacher. And the heading is Students Deserve a Second Chance. Dear Editor, last week students received their GCSE results. Some were disappointed. Ambitions to go on to A-levels and university no longer possible. Hoped-for careers in teaching, the law and many others no longer an option. 16 is too young to fail and too young to abandon your hoped-for career. That never used to be the case in Worcester. I know of many young people who resat their GCSEs on a full-time course at a further education college after not doing very well the first time but they went on to university and successful careers. For example, a young man who obtained a first-class honours degree, a master's and now working for his PhD, and already a highly respected historian, having written several published books. A young woman let down by a Worcester City school. Her attendance and behaviour were excellent, but she made little progress. Her school made no attempt to find out why and try to support her. She left without qualifications, but a few years later obtained a good honours degree. Another, given up, by, given up on by all but one of his teachers, had an undiagnosed le learning difficulty and, after leaving school, did a GCSE reset course at college, obtained his A-levels in one year and later a good honours degree, and had a successful career teaching in further education. That was me. There are many reasons why a student doesn't do as well as they should at school. Ill health, problems at home, poor teaching, learning difficulties, bullying, or maybe they're just not mature enough for, for serious study. A new start in a different institution could make all the difference and enable them to reach their potential. In addition, this particular cohort of students have had to deal with disruption caused by Covid and strikes. In Worcester City, the two further education colleges no longer provide full-time GCSE reset courses. Worcester Sixth Form College stopped offering them recently and the Heart of England College stopped some time ago, both no doubt for commercial reasons. If you inquire about a full-time GCSE reset course at Heart of England College, they are more than happy to steer you towards a vocational course with a chance to reset English and Maths. But that's not what many students need or want. There was a very successful reset course at this college, with most students going on to A-levels and university. Given the additional disruption this year's GCSE students have had to deal with, it does seem unfair they are unable to have a second chance at resitting their GCSEs and fulfilling their ambitions. OK, my letter then is from Councillor Stephen Hodgson of Warnden Parish. Dear Editor, 
In the Worcester News on August the 25th, your headline story covered the city centre transport strategy that was discussed at the meeting of the Place and Economic Development Committee on July the 24th, which I attended. The Conservative members at the meeting expressed our strong reservations to the plans that has full support from the Labour-Green joint leadership. Our concerns are focused on the proposals to severely limit the capacity of important roads in the city centre, including Fourgate Street and along North Quay, where the illustration on the front page shows three lanes of traffic being reduced to just a single lane. The intention of the proposals is to direct all city centre traffic into three large multi-storey car parks on the edge of the city centre, which includes one of those car parks next to Worcester's iconic viaduct, ruining the vista that will affect views of the river from the hive. But also, even more controversially, a multi-storey in Cripplegate Park, where 600-plus car parking spaces are expected to be found on Tybridge Street. The proposals would appear to make it very difficult for a person with disabilities to park right in the city centre and it would become virtually impossible to do a quick errand as parking and walking will take time. The transport strategy document that was presented to the councillors includes space for a comment of support from Worcestershire County Council but this cannot be assumed to be given. This city centre transport strategy is a foretaste of the vision the Green Party have if they were in control of Worcester City Council next year. A city where travelling around to do your daily business will either be time-consuming or virtually impossible. There are some positive things in the strategy relating to making our streets look more attractive, cycle lanes and bike rental schemes, but overall many aspects of the strategy need a rethink. So now we'll start the general articles and I'm going to ask Richard for his first choice. Well, from Wednesday the 30th, there's an article headed Inspector Blocks Homes Plan. A move to bypass the council and build 30 homes in a village near Worcester has been blocked by a government inspector. The planning application to build the new homes on fields off post office lane in Kemsey was rejected by planners at Morbid Hills District Council last year and an appeal was then launched to the government's planning inspectors who had the power to override the council. But the government inspector has sided with Morbid Hills District Council and thrown out the appeal saying it was a poor design. Planning inspector Ian Jenkins said the proposal which would not integrate effectively with its surroundings in terms of form and function or reinforce local distinctiveness, would be likely to have a substantial adverse effect on the character and appearance of the local area. It would not be sympathetic to the local character, nor, in my view, does it have sufficient regard to the intrinsic character and beauty of the countryside. Rejecting the plan last year, the Council said the new homes would be inappropriate and would have an adverse impact and unacceptably encroach on the countryside. A total of 88-0 objections from villagers in Kemsey were made against the plan during consultation who said the homes would be built in an unsustainable location and condemned the effect it would have on already stretched local services such as schools. A report from officers at 
of Morwen Hills District Council outlining the rejection said the site could not provide suitable accessibility for pedestrians to the built-up area and would have an adverse impact on highway safety and sustainable transport choices. Planners went on to say that the homes would be in a location that did not have enough school spaces, which would be harmful to their welfare and the welfare of the community at large. Kemsey Parish Council also objected to the scheme, saying enough homes had already been built in the village. The Parish Council also said the isolated position of the homes would be harmful to the character of the village, its rural setting and the countryside in general. The homes would have set next to the recently completed 75-home Sallow Bed Way plan in Kemsey and would have been outside the agreed housing boundary for the village. Couple wed again at City Care Home. Quite an intriguing title. A kind-hearted couple who work at a Worcester care home retied the knot so residents could join in their wedding celebrations. The newlyweds, Julie Harrison Ford and Dino Ford, have worked together at Regent Residential Care Home in School Road St John's, Worcester, for eight years and consider residents to be like family. But they were unfortunately unable to invite everyone to their big day. After their official marriage, on July the 15th, the couple dressed to impress in their wedding attire, re-performed their nuptials and first dance and enjoyed the traditional cake-cutting and a toast with the residents at the home, managed by Sanctuary Care. The happy couple recreated their ceremony in the home, which provides dementia, residential and respite care for older people in the local community. Beryl Yarnold, a resident at the Sanctuary Care Home, said, It was wonderful to be part of Julie and Dino's special day and see them exchange their vows. They both looked wonderful. I wish them every happiness together. Bride, Julie Harrison Ford, said, We love spending time with our Regent family and it meant the world to us to celebrate with the residents and other team members. Dino actually forgot to wear his corsage on our wedding day, so was pleased to be able to wear it for the first time. It's moments like these which fill our hearts with so much joy. Maid of Honour and Deputy Manager at Regent Residential Care Home, Julie Wattis, said, Being able to host Julie and Dino's wedding ceremony for our residents was an absolute pleasure. And of course, I was delighted to take on the role of Maid of Honour for the second time. As with any family, we do everything we can to ensure the people we care for and who work within our home feel happy, enriched and fulfilled. Our residents' faces lit up when they saw the home transformed for the wedding and everyone worked so hard to recreate the special celebrations. It's a memory many of us will treasure for a long time. This article is from Saturday, August 26th and it concerns the Wilco store 
which is still in the news today. Everything must go at store. Everything must go signs have appeared in Worcester's Wilco store as questions loom over the future of the business. Wilco announced it had fallen into administration earlier this month after failing to secure a rescue deal, putting more than 400 stores and 12,500 jobs across the UK at risk. The future of the Worcester store is not currently known, but an image submitted to the Worcester News shows the bargain signs. In a meeting held on Wednesday, the GMB union said it was informed that the sale of a significant part of the business to a buyer had fallen through. This means there is no longer any prospect that most of the business will be saved. GMB advised that people should expect significant redundancies amongst store staff, though the timing is uncertain. For staff in stores, there remains a possibility that some might be bought, either individually or as part of a larger package. In the upcoming week, they said, redundancies will start for the staff at the support centre and the distribution centres before the closure. PricewaterhouseCoopers has taken over the administration process for Wilco. Upon their appointment in early August, PwC warned while stores would continue to trade as normal initially, if a buyer for some or all of the group was not found, it is likely that store closures and redundancies will follow. There are 408 Wilco stores across the UK, at the time of publication, which are all at risk of closing in the coming weeks. These stores employ more than 12,500 staff. A Worcester mum and teacher who has written a children's book will be reading it in the city's newest bookshop. Bonnie Morris from St John's had her first book, Starting School, published in May. It is designed to help children who are worried about starting school for the first time. Ms Morris will be reading the book and signing copies in Script Haven, a bookshop and cafe that opened earlier this month in the former House of Coffee in Cathedral Square. The event, dubbed Storytime Sunday, will take place on Sunday the September the 3rd at 11am. In preparation for children starting back to school, I'm reading my book, answering any questions about starting school. And of course, we'll do a book signing for anyone who would like a copy, said Ms Morris, who is assistant head teacher at Rednall Hill Infant School near Bromsgrove. She previously told the Worcester News was inspired to write the book after being unable to find a great book to help children settle into their new class when starting school for the first time. I couldn't find anything that truly reflected the ups and downs of those first few days of being in a classroom so decided to write my own. It lets your little one know there will be happy and less happy moments, and that is OK. This book can be shared with children in a classroom or with little ones at home. Children can see the illustrations whilst the book is read with rhyme and repetition for them to join in. Script Haven became Worcester's second independent bookshop when it opened on Saturday, August the 5th. Opened by former Worcestershire poet laureate Lena Batchelor, the shop promises to offer a platform to authors and artists and to act as a community hub. It is also a cafe selling cakes and coffees, a gift shop and a second-hand book exchange. For all the latest news, log on to www.worcesternews.co.uk. Alongside a photograph of 
clairboarding last Tuesday. It's, uh, the headline is Boarding's Admiration for City's Cathedral. Television presenter Claire Boarding was hands-on steering a narrowboat herself during filming in Worcester and expressed her admiration for the city's cathedral. Terry Huckabee, managing director of Starline, said all they did was provide the boat while Mrs Boarding and the film crew were filming on the River Severn in Worcester. They headed from the direction of the Camp House Inn in Grimley, past Worcester Cathedral, before turning around and mooring in Worcester. Mr Huckabee, the managing director, said she, she, she also steered the boat herself. She seemed quite proficient, he said. He added that there had been lots of dragon boats and other boats on the Seven while the crew were filming, describing the river as being uh, active at the time of the voyage. She found the cathedral particularly interesting, he said. As previously reported, Rosemary captured the moment as the 52-year-old broadcast journalist and author was out filming for a television show on a Starline narrowboat. Boarding presents for BBC Sport, Channel 4 and BT Sport and formerly presented the religious programme Good Morning Sunday on BBC Radio 2. She is understood to be filming Tales from the Riverbank, which sees the presenter looking in looking more depth at Britain's most famous riverways, giving an insight into the lives of their inhabitants. Channel 5 and Starline have been approached for a comment. In an interview with What to Watch, published online, Ms Balding said, There is something truly magical about life on the water and I'm looking forward to meeting the people, exploring the landscape and seeing the wildlife that thrives on the banks of our glorious rivers. I can't think of a better way to spend my summer than telling tales from the riverbank. Ms Mayer, 44, of Gloucestershire, who took the photograph on a narrowboat holiday with her partner Andy, said, Claire Borden just moored up behind us on a hire boat at Worcester, She's filming for a series to be aired at Christmas. She added, She was on a Starline hire boat, and they provided two staff. We saw the boat a couple of hours before at Beverly Lock, with just one staff member. They all walked past, Claire walked, said hello, and my chap asked, were they filming something like Canal Boat Diaries? One of the film crew stopped and said it was for a new series called Tales of the River, airing at Christmas. Tales from the Riverbank involves clearboarding, exploring Britain's rivers, stopping off at famous landmarks, sampling local delicacies and watching wildlife and speaking to those who live and work on the waterways. Well, my next article is headed... Naughty souls who haunt the square. And if I describe just three of the photographs, perhaps you'll get the flavour of the article. First of all, there is a photo taken from the Tower of Worcester Cathedral in the 1950s. The photo shows small shops and a church and lorries and vans going up what's now College Street. But apparently the land 
was at one time a graveyard, accessed through the Lich Gate in Lich Street. Everything was demolished in the 1960s. There's a view of Worcester Cathedral in the late 1890s showing the area where St Michael's Church once stood. By then it had been knocked down and rebuilt to front Lich Street. And finally, a view of the Lich Gate from Lich Street looking through it towards the cathedral. This had been the entrance to a large ceremony. So here's the article. As you probably guessed, it's about ghosts. Ghost hunters around here are seriously spoilt for choice because Worcestershire is home to any number of paranormal personalities. For example, there's the ghost of a little girl who is supposed to wander through St Helen's Church on Worcester High Street, one called Old Coles, who is reputed to drive a coach and four horses with fiery nostrils through the village of Lye, near Bransford, while a third is a long-deceased nun from Stanbrook Abbey who has been seen walking along the road from Callowen to Powick on moonlit nights. The locations are many and varied. But one of the most unlikely is the slice of real estate formerly known as Worcester Cathedral Roundabout, now after a facelift more grandly called Cathedral Square. Because the whole area used to be a graveyard, and there are some seriously naughty people buried there whose souls wouldn't think twice about a bit of mischievous haunting. It all goes back to the 800s, when in 826 AD, the Church of St Michael in Bedwardine was built very close to the northeast side of a much smaller Worcester Cathedral. Around the church were a number of houses which blocked up the northern facade of the cathedral, but were later removed in a demolition exercise that had echoes of something else that went on there in the 1960s. St Michael's was so close to the cathedral that the cathedral's bell tower, with its lofty spire, stood at its western end. St Michael's was considered the parish church for the whole of the cathedral precincts. Any marriages performed at the cathedral were entered in St Michael's register, the incumbent receiving the fees, which must have been a handy income. Its burial ground, lying to the north of the church, covered the area now occupied by the south end of High Street and the entrances to Deansway and College Street. It was considerable and had wide use. As well as locals, interred there were all the prisoners and debtors who died in the Old County Jail, which was part of the nearby Old Castle along with most of the nearly 3,000 Scottish soldiers killed fighting for Charles II at the Battle of Worcester in 1651. The entrance to this extensive cemetery was through the Lich Gate that stood a little down Lich Street and dated to the early 16th century. When it was knocked down during the notorious Sack of Worcester redevelopment of that part of the city in the early 1960s, 
it was the only remaining lich gate of a cathedral in the country, hence the furore. However, that wasn't the first time this area of Worcester had been flattened. In 1792, the city fathers decided a new road was needed and only route was straight through the graveyard. So College Street was created to link the bottom end of High Street with Sidbury. And in the process, all the houses that had grown up around St Michael's Church went too. The fine terraced houses in College Yard being built at the same time. The original church of St Michael's was demolished in 1839 and a new one erected with an entrance and frontage to College Street and adjoining the old Lich Gate. However, it was little used as the area had changed in character and closed as a church in 1907 before coming becoming the Diocesan Records Office. Meanwhile, most of the graves of debtors and warriors remained. So, says Mike Price, who wrote this article, if you're passing that way on a moonlit night and hear a blood-curdling cry, it could be the ghost of ne'er-do-well or maybe a bonny blue bonnet looking for a roundhead to sort out. Alternatively, just a case of too many jars in a neighbourhood alehouse. Well, nothing spooky about the next story from Friday, August the 25th. New elephant arrives at Safari Park. West Midlands Safari Park has welcomed a new addition to its elephant family with the arrival of Coco, a 23-year-old bull African elephant. Coco arrived at the park on August the 9th, 2023 and has been getting acquainted with his new keepers and settling into his new home. The purpose behind Coco's arrival is to breed with the park's female elephant, Five, in support of the EEP, the EAZA Ex-Situ Programme for African Elephant Conservation. The hope is that the pair will successfully breed in the future. Coco's arrival at the park follows the departure of Five's son, Sutton, who was relocated to Noah's Ark Zoo Farm in May to join a bachelor herd of elephants. Andy Plum, head keeper of the elephants, said, The team are very excited to welcome Coco to the park. Having recently moved Sutton to another zoo to continue his path to adulthood, Coco will be a great companion for five, our 31-year-old female, and we hope they form a strong bond. The move went very smoothly, and the arrival of an experienced male like Coco at the park will hopefully enable us to achieve our goals of becoming a successful breeding group in the future. We're looking forward to introducing him to all our guests. Coco has fathered calves both in his previous home in the UK and at Cabacino Zoo, Obregon, in Spain, where he was born on June the 14th, 2000. Currently, Coco is being introduced to his new habitat, which includes outdoor pools, mud wallows, a state-of-the-art elephant house, dust baths and feeding areas. Once Coco is fully settled, he will be gradually introduced to five by allowing them to meet in neighbouring outdoor paddocks.
African elephants face an uncertain future and are considered endangered by the IUCN due to factors such as poaching for ivory and habitat loss. West Midlands Safari Park has partnered with the charity Tusk, which actively supports the Mali Elephant Project to promote in-the-field conservation. A very important article now. This is um, about dog-friendly cafes in the city and having two dogs myself. It's very important. We have compiled a list of six city centre cafes that are dog-friendly for National Dog Day 2023, which unfortunately has passed. It was August the 26th. But um, National Dog Day and the chance to celebrate ownership of all breeds. Over the years, more and more places in Worcester are making the switch to becoming dog-friendly and what better way to celebrate than take a visit to one of these brilliant cafes. Paw & Co in Reindeer Court is a dog shop and cafe with a wide variety of treats for dogs and owners. A Google reviewer said, The coffee was brilliant and our dog enjoyed her biscuits. And another said, What a lovely place and what super staff. Papa's Cafe is situated on New Street in the heart of Worcester. The cafe offers both indoor and outdoor seating, perfect for the warm weekend coming up. A Google reviewer said, It's nice to find somewhere that our dog could join us with lovely food at a great price. Wayland's Yard. This dog-friendly spot can be found on Fourgate Street, only a few doors down from the train station. A Google review said, Terrific place, especially if you have a dog. I find some places that are dog-friendly just tolerate them, while here they truly love dogs and will cook your dog a sausage if you ask. Good Roots Described by one reviewer as a hidden gem, Good Roots can be found a stone's throw from Worcester Cathedral on Seven Street. A Google review said, I enjoyed brunch so much I went twice in a week. It's dog-friendly, really appreciate being able to help yourself to tap water. Food is well presented and tasty. Francini Café di Colombia. Francini's in Angel Place is a firm favourite amongst Worcester residents and is often highly praised by reviewers in the city. For those celebrating National Dog Day, it is also dog friendly. One reviewer said, an authentic place with Colombian people with real food and coffee. They are dog friendly too. The decorations and music are carefully selected to make you feel like you are really there. Black and White. Black and White on the Foregate offers a range of breakfast and brunch dishes and is another popular spot amongst locals. One reviewer said, I always have a fantastic brunch here. It's our favourite cafe in Worcester. It is dog friendly and very accommodating. I would highly recommend it. On Tuesday, it's a very topical article. A photograph of a a lovely open countryside field looking very picturesque and the headline homes plan is approved more than 60 new homes will be built in a village despite widespread concern that it will lead to more sewage flowing into a nearby brook Whichover district council's planning committee approved a planning application to build 62 new homes off church road in crowell at the second time of asking, after delaying a decision last month to allow for more talks with Seven Trent Water over the potential for the village to become overrun with sewage. The planning committee agreed to push back a decision to 
give the council more time to make sure Kroll's sewage system was fit for purpose before any new housing was built. Councillor Margaret Rowley said the amount of sewage discharged into Bowbrook from Kroll meant it was the worst polluted area in Witchhaven. Raw sewage was flowing into Bowbrook every other day on average in 2021 for a total of 3,834 hours. That isn't something that could be tolerated, she said at the planning meeting in Pershaw on August 17th. And to just have mitigation against these extra houses does not solve the problem. As she did last month, Councillor Rowley called for the plan to be rejected, but without the support of another councillor, her motion was never put to a vote. The committee then approved the plan by Piper Holmes by seven votes to two, with two abstentions. A total of 40 objections were made against the plan by villagers in Kroll before the meeting. Kroll Parish Councillor Ian Bowden told the planning committee that the village had no objection to 40 new homes, as included in the key South Worcestershire development plan, a planning blueprint, but had issues with more saying 62 was far too many. Taken together with the 25 homes already delivered, the 12 approved earlier this year and the 30 approved last month that rate and pace and of growth cannot be considered to be sustainable development. Fellow parish councillor St- Stephen Dunn said the sewage system in the village was already woefully under capacity and the widespread concern in Kroll had yet to be addressed. He said the village wanted tighter guarantees that building new homes would not cause more pollution to run into the nearby Bowbrook as real harm was already being caused to the environment because of discharging sewage. Ahead of the meeting last month, the council's planning officers had advised the plan was given the green light along with a condition that Seven Trent Water was expected to make sure a proper sewage system was built before half the homes were filled. Spitfire Homes had its plan to build 30 homes on land less than half a mile away from Froxmere Road off the village's church road, backed by the committee at the same meeting. We await developments with interest. My next article is, I think, the total opposite of that lovely article that Moira read a few moments ago about dogs being welcomed in many Worcestershire and Worcester itself cafes. This one is headed Heartbreaking Rise in Dog Cruelty Cases. Heartbreaking new figures show cruelty towards dogs has risen in Worcestershire, with more than 130 deliberate acts of harm recorded. Incidents of cruelty across Worcestershire and Herefordshire have risen by 8%, as the latest figures are published as part of the Cancel Out Cruelty campaign. In 2022, there were 628 reports made to the RSPCA in the area about cruelty to dogs, compared with 582 in 2021. The figures have been described as heartbreaking by the charity, and include reports about intentional harm, neglect and abandonments. 
Intentional harm includes attempted killing, poisoning, beating, improper killing, mutilation and suspicious circumstances. There were 135 reports of intentional harm to dogs in Herefordshire and Worcestershire. Nationally, the number of reports made to the RSPCA about dogs, including those things, in 2022 was 42,690, a 7% increase from the previous year. We reported this month how a woman who does not wish to be identified heard the sickening screams of what she believed was a dog being abused, coming from within thick undergrowth in a copse near Turner's Close in Worcester. In summer months, cases of cruelty rise, and the charity is braced for its busiest time of the year. The charity has released the figures as part of its Cancel Out Cruelty campaign, to raise funds to help its frontline rescue teams continue to save animals from cruelty and abuse. Thea Kerrison, Acting Chief Inspector for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire area, said, For hundreds of years, dogs have been known as man's best friend, and if you share your home with one, you will know why, as they are so loyal and loving companions. But these awful statistics tell a different story. Dogs are the most abused animal in this country, and we investigate more complaints about them than any other type of animal. Everyone who cares about animals will be sickened to know how many reports we receive about dogs being kicked, beaten, burned or worse. We need the public's help to cancel out cruelty. Their donations, no matter how small, help keep our frontline officers out on the road, rescuing animals and investigating these terrible reports. In Worcestershire, a dog with deformed legs was abandoned in a secluded area in Bromsgrove. The dog, named Defford by rescuers, was found on a patch of land near Avoncroft Museum Historic Buildings in Redditch Road, Stoke Heath. Kind-hearted members of the museum's team spotted the dog had been left tied to a tree before calling police after becoming concerned he'd been intentionally abandoned. Defford, named after the police officer who helped him to safety, is thought to be a young German shepherd or Belgian Malinois cross and is around a year old. RSPCA Inspector Nicola Johnson, who investigated for the animal welfare charity, said, It really upsets me to think his owner had decided to just dump him like rubbish and simply walk away from their terrified pet. He must have been very confused and frightened to be tied up and abandoned. He has deformed rear legs and a very distinct walk, so should be easily identifiable to anyone who has seen him before. He's such a sweet and gentle-natured dog, and it's heartbreaking to think someone has abandoned him for a mere deformity of his legs. The next article is a warning to households, and it's from Friday's edition. Police warn very rude man may be a rogue trader. A very rude man has been flagged as a possible rogue trader following a report to West Mercia Police. 
police received a report of possible rogue traders in Old Vicarage Close, Kempsey, on Tuesday, August the 22nd. Rogue traders are individuals who will turn up unannounced and offer to carry out works such as hedge cutting, general gardening, roofing or tarmac driveways, often citing that they have spotted a problem and offering, offering to fix it for you. They will then charge extortionate sums of money for minor or poor quality work, sometimes offering to accompany victims to the bank to withdraw funds for the work. PCD Stanley of the Kempsey and Ulfric Safer Neighbourhood Policing Team said the man was very rude when his offer of tree pruning was declined by a resident. The vehicle involved was a white open back ranger truck with a registration of VN72ZGU. This is a timely reminder that at this time of year, rogue traders may be operating in the county and we are concerned that residents across our rural policing area may be targeted as we are now in the summer season when gardens need trimming back and roofs and driveways need cleaning. Police are now advising residents to keep a lookout for this vehicle and report anything suspicious. West Mercia Police have also advised to not accept work from cold callers or leaflets that are posted through the door. Instead, choose a trusted contractor. OK, um, my next story has got Malcolm Marks and Milestone. There's been a double celebration for one of the UK's oldest volunteers who's been helping out at a Worcestershire National Trust venue for decades. Malcolm Walford started working at the Croom Estate Trust 70 years ago, the same week as his 20th birthday. Now he's been celebrating his 90th birthday and 70 years at Croom with a big party. Malcolm devoted his life to working at the estate before it was taken over by the National Trust. He was originally employed as a labourer at the 18th century House and Gardens, two months after Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953. When he retired, he rejoined as a volunteer and now greets visitors and leads tours of the palatial grounds. Last Friday, August the 25th, Malcolm celebrated his 90th birthday when staff threw him a garden party in the grounds of his beloved Croom estate. Despite his years, the sprightly pensioner still works at the church in the grounds two days a week and says he has no plans to retire. He said, I want to talk to people. That's been my job. It's just Croom, it's where I grew up and it's taken over my life. It took over my family life. As long as I've got breath in my body, I shall be here at Croom. My dad said years and years ago, there's something special about Croom, and there is. This is home to me. It's wonderful to see children here on National Trust property enjoying themselves. Malcolm has outlived two of the owners of Croom, the Earls of Coventry, and said he expected to be buried on the estate when he died. He added, I have a plot in the churchyard and when my time comes, that's where I'm going to be. The house and parkland at Croom had been in the Coventry family since 1592. In 1996, the National Trust acquired the property and began restoration of the Capability Brown Design Parkland and opened it to the public. Malcolm eventually retired from his role with the Croom Estate Trust but joined the National Trust as a volunteer. Now from yesterday, the 30th of August, 
Food donations welcomed. A homeless charity with bases in Worcester and Malvern has welcomed food donations from big-hearted businesses. Staff and volunteers at Mags Day Centre have welcomed the donations to help provide a one-off lunch for their service users on Bank Holiday Monday, August the 28th. The charity, which already opens five days a week to provide rough sleepers with a cooked breakfast, served a hot meal with a pudding and snacks to take away if they wish due to the generous donations. Melissa Blewett, Marketing and Relations Manager at MAGS, said, On behalf of the team at MAGS, we want to thank the teams at Brooks Catering, the Granary Coffee Shop and Scotch Collins for their generosity. We've been overwhelmed by the support we've received from local businesses and the wider community to provide a special lunch to our service users. And it is the small things like this that mean so much to our service users, especially on a day when a lot of their usual services are shut. Mags works throughout Worcestershire and hosts two-day centres in Worcester and Malvern alongside their clothing project and accommodation project, which temporarily houses rough sleepers and provides them with tailored support to further their journey. The charity is seeing more rough sleepers in areas throughout the Worcestershire boundaries and throughout the summer months and has seen a vast increase in demand for not only food but clothing and essential items such as rucksacks, toiletries and more from their clothing project. As a company, we believe it is important to help out in the community and support people in these difficult times, said Graham Brooks from Brooks Catering. We recognise the hard work that MAGS does and want to do our bit to help their service users and do something nice to show that there is a community out there that wants to help them. The charity also has a number of specialist teams that work with service users, including an outreach team, an intensive transition support team for complex needs and a harm reduction team. Alongside the support workers working in the day centres to care for service users and volunteers, the charity relies on maintaining its high service levels. A lot of the charity services are run by donations, whether this be monetary, food or clothing. For more information, visit www.magsdaycentre.co.uk. The next article from Friday the 25th of August is also a way of helping families, an idea put forward by A-Plan Insurance. Cricket kit drop-off to support families. A Worcester insurance broker is lending a helping hand to families with a passion for cricket after setting up a kit exchange for children. A-Plan Insurance, based in Forgate Street, came up with the idea for the cricket kit exchange after one of their insurance advisors noticed how popular the sport was becoming. Yet some families would struggle to afford the kit. 
A-Plan's Kit Exchange welcomes donations of good condition kit for 0 to 16-year-olds. They're also giving away some balls, bats and training sets, with plans of getting more equipment as the programme progresses. John Fletcher, branch insurance advisor, came up with the programme and is super excited and motivated to get this building some momentum. He's being helped by raising awareness on social media by Nicola Berry, branch telemarketer. John explained, Cricket is becoming more and more popular and I wanted to do what I can to get equipment to children that would normally that wouldn't normally have the opportunity to access it. My son started showing an interest in cricket really early on and he has grown in confidence and ability. Hopefully through this project we can give more children the chance to try cricket and maybe take it up. If anyone would like to drop kit off, they can pop into the branch at 1 to 2 Forgate Street, WR1 1DB, Monday to Friday 9 to 5 and Saturday 9 to 12. For any inquiries, they can email Nicola directly at nicola, S-U-C-I-U, at aplan.co.uk. A new teaching block will become the latest part of a campus expansion at the city's university after plans were backed by the council. The University of Worcester will be building the three-storey teaching building at its seven campus off Hilton Road as part of major work to add to the burgeoning site. The work would add to the planned International Inclusive Cricket Centre, which has also been built on the Seven campus, as well as the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson School of Health and Wellbeing in Hilton Road. The move was approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee at a meeting in the Guildhall on Thursday, August the 24th, but not without criticism over its design and green credentials. The work will create new walking and cycling routes and green spaces throughout the campus as well as cycle storage for almost 300 bikes and 300 car parking spaces including 100 electric car charging points. Plans also include new health and wellbeing walking route to be built throughout the university site a number of flood defence improvements. Well now we reach the end of this week's recording. We hope that you found it useful and enjoyable. My thanks, as usual, go to Penny, Moira and Richard and to our sound engineer, Alex Gwynne. Thanks also to Carol Hartle and her efficient admin team for all that they do to ensure you receive recordings. We all hope that you have an enjoyable week and that you'll tune in to the next edition of Worcester Talking News. So it's good night from all of us here. Goodbye. Firstly, we remember Mary Richardson, passed away Friday 18th of August 2023, aged 92 years. A funeral service to be held Monday 11th of September, 11.30am at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only. Donations gratefully received for cancer research. Mike Rose passed away peacefully on the 13th of August, aged 90 years. 
The funeral service to take place at Oakley Wood Crematorium, South Chapel, on Tuesday the 5th of September at 1.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Geoffrey Norman Stevenson from the 14th of October 1941 to his death on the 13th of August 2023. Passed away peacefully following a long battle with Alzheimer's. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 8th of September at 10.45am. Family flowers only, donations for Alzheimer's. Fred Burton passed away peacefully in hospital, surrounded by his loving family, on the 9th of August 2023, aged 66 years. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium on Tuesday 12th of September at 1pm. No flowers by request, please. Donations, if desired, are invited for Acorns Children's Hospice and Leukaemia UK. Stephen Geoffrey Sinek passed away peacefully on 11th of August 2023, aged 65 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 5th of September at 1pm. Family flowers only, please.